his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host, Jason Brooks. Thanks for joining The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Sri Lanka sits off the coast of India with the sparkling beauty of a rare gemstone. But its teardrop shape seems appropriate given the tragedies that have befallen the island nation, having suffered through a 26-year civil war that ended in 2009. Nearly a decade since that deadly fight pitting the majority Sinhalese population against the Tamil minority, peace may once again be under threat. Joining the crisis next door to talk about a sudden constitutional crisis in Sri Lanka is Dr. Jonah Blank, senior political scientist with the RAND Corporation. Dr. Blank also served as policy director for South and Southeast Asia on the staff of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee from 1999 to 2011. Dr. Blank, thank you for joining the crisis next door. Thank you for having me. Let's start by explaining how this situation came about in Sri Lanka. In, In late October... President Mathrapala Sirisena dismissed Prime Minister Ranil Rekhmasinga and appointed former President Mahinda Rajapaksa. Why did he make that move and what does that mean for Sri Lanka? Well, the first part of it is a question that people in Sri Lanka are themselves trying to figure out. There had been a lot of bad blood between President Sirisena and his Prime Minister Ranil Wickremesinghe for quite a while. However, Calling in Rajapaksa uh, is really quite a, quite a move. The president, Sirisena, had been part of Rajapaksa's government uh, and had been one of his followers. But then he turned against him and he was elected essentially on a platform of not being Mahinda Rajapaksa. And he won because Rajapaksa was uh, quite, uh, quite in danger of losing popularity due to his rampant corruption, his nepotism, and his abuse of, of human rights. So calling him back in uh, is really quite a change. Now, what caused Siracina to flip that support right around? That, that just, just comes seemingly out of nowhere. Well, the tension between him and his former prime minister, Renil Wickremesinghe, had been building for a number of years. They were political rivals. They still are political rivals. But a weird twist on this is that the president, Sirisena, accuses his former prime minister of plotting to kill him. Now, there's no evidence that he's presented publicly about this, and it's really a bit of a mystery what he's even referring to. Uh, but it, uh, there's enough bad blood that, uh, the, that the tension had been there for a long time. The surprise here is him calling back his other arch-rival to be uh, in, in the new prime minister in his place. And I should add, this is not a done deal. This is a, a, a move that most observers in Sri Lanka see as blatantly unconstitutional. And how does this square up with Sri Lanka's constitution? What can be done through this? Can this be taken to the Supreme Court? Would something be achieved that way? 
Well, the way it's most likely to be achieved, because the Supreme Court in Sri Lanka is not as powerful as the Supreme Court in, for example, India or Pakistan or the United States, for that matter. The way this is likely to be achieved is in Parliament itself, because under the Constitution, the president has the right to appoint a prime minister if there's a vacancy, but he does not have the right to fire a prime minister. That's something that only parliament can do. If parliament has the uh, support for a prime minister, then he is the, uh, he's the constitutional leader, or she is the constitutional leader. Uh, the same as in any parliamentary democracy. Uh, but uh, this is becoming a bit of a power struggle within parliament because the supporters of Wickremesinghe, the ousted prime minister, are starting to defect to the new uh, to the the new rival. And if Rajapakse, the former leader, if he's able to get enough support, then that's the most likely way that he will uh, get a an unconstitutional coup turned into a constitutional coup. Now, or I should say a constitutional change of government, because if he actually gets the support of parliament, then uh, it, it really becomes a, um, a, a legal process. Now, Sirisina had promised reconciliation and democratic reforms, winning support from a coalition including Tamils, Muslims and Sinhalese voters, even promising to hold members of Rajapaksa's regime accountable for a range of crimes, including corruption and assassinations. Is that all out the door now? Well, it never really was in the door. Uh, the reconciliation was moving much more slowly than a lot of people would have liked, particularly Tamils. The accountability of both Mahinda Rajapaksa and his family, because part of the unpopularity of Rajapaksa stemmed from his rampant uh, nepotism. He brought up several of his family members, several brothers in particular, into the highest levels of government and all of his relatives were alleged to have been enriching themselves at the public till. Uh, none of that has really uh, been accounted for. How would Rajapaksa's appointment as prime minister impact ethnic reconciliation efforts? It would probably set them back considerably because Mahinda Rajapaksa presided over the end of this bloody civil war that had racked Sri Lanka for over a quarter century. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. However, he did it by perpetrating a very considerable human rights abuses, and uh, he's never had to uh, stand to account for that. The global community has accused him of rampant war crimes. Uh, the Tamil community definitely sees him as an enemy not only of the defeated Tamil Tigers, but of the Tamils more broadly. How do you think the Tamils will react to Rajapaksa being appointed? Uh, will, will this cause a, a greater reaction from them, possibly moving back towards the days of looking for a separate homeland in Sri Lanka? Well, that is that is the fear. However, at least in my analysis, it's unlikely to happen. After more than uh, 25 years of civil war, I think that the the Tamil population is so worn out and so dispirited that I don't think there's really a whole lot of appetite for restarting the civil war. 
when you add to that the fact that the longtime leader of the Tamil Tigers, uh, Vinupai Prabhakaran, uh, was killed at the, at the end of the uh, struggle, and that all of the top leadership has essentially been killed, there really isn't the, the network to recreate the, uh, the very effective insurgent and sometimes terrorist group that uh, the Tamil Tigers had been. Would there then be any other challenge from any uh, solid-sized group to Rajapaksa being the prime minister? Or would it all end if the Tamils just don't have the stomach for another fight? Well, the Tamils don't have a stomach for another fight, but they do have a, a stomach for participating through the democratic process. And uh, the ousted prime minister, uh, Ranil Wickremesinghe, uh, had and still has considerable support within the Tamil community. In fact, had the Tamil Tigers not put forward a, a boycott of the election in which uh, Wickremesinghe himself tried to unseat Rajapaksa uh, during uh, the, uh, the period when the Civil War was on, he probably would have defeated Rajapaksa, and there may not have needed to be a very bloody end to the Civil War. There may have been a peaceful reconciliation. I say may because we will never have any way of knowing but the the, uh, the Tamils may well really rejoin the political process in uh, in greater numbers. At least that is one positive possible outcome. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about Sri Lanka's constitutional crisis with Dr. Jonah Blank, senior political scientist with the Rand Corporation. The nightmare of the Civil War is not going away anytime soon. So many missing persons, uh, and there's been a, a recent attempt, at least, to name all of those missing persons and the victims from the Civil War, uh, and as well as reparations. What kind of an effect would there be on the Office of Missing Persons and the Reparations Office if this appointment of Rajapaksa goes through? Reparations would probably be a dead letter. Missing persons might well continue, but it hasn't really been making a whole lot of progress even now. It's possible that Rajapaksa would try to set it back even further because his entire political base is in the majority Sinhalese Buddhist community. And he has uh, gotten his vote bank uh, from some of the more chauvinistic and militant and even often violent uh, sections of this community. So if he uh, is playing to his base, then he may well take a more populist or demagogic um, uh, approach, as we've seen many leaders throughout the world doing. That touches on my next question. Uh, Speaking of militant Buddhist nationalists, uh, where do Sri Lanka's Muslims fit into this equation? There were several days of attacks on mosques and Muslim-owned businesses and homes by Buddhist nationalists. That's true, and that is a... Um, of a, a very sad development. Uh, this spills over really from Sri Lanka to Myanmar, uh, another country uh, that is a, a majority Theravada Buddhist country, where the the clergy itself, uh, monks who are uh, committed theologically to uh, to nonviolence, have in both countries been stirring up and leading violence against minority groups, particularly Muslims. So. During the Civil War, Muslims had largely been on the sidelines. They had not been uh, the main target of either the Tamils or the Sinhalese. But after the Civil War, the, uh, the Buddhist chauvinists or the Buddhist militants, often led by clergy, 
have sometimes turned their attention to the rather small Muslim minority. Is there any chance of a coalition between Sri Lanka's Muslims and, and the Tamils? Well, I think that that it would have to be sections of the Sinhalese and sections of the Tamils, just as the ousted Prime Minister Wickham Singha has supporters in both groups. Uh, he has more supporters among the Tamils. There are more who support his party than support uh, Russia Paksa's party. But he still has to, uh, has to really get the votes of Sinhalese just because there aren't enough Tamils to, uh, to, to win an election. Let's talk about the international community and where it stands in all of this, in particular India. India, obviously, right off the coast of Sri Lanka, and also played a significant role in in the Civil War. What is New Delhi's role in this current crisis? That's where the geopolitics get interesting. When he was president, Mahinda Rajapaksa uh, had shifted Sri Lanka's orientation from a long-time close friendship, although a little bit of a tense friendship with India, uh, which had been the the traditional foreign policy uh, orientation, to instead uh, moving into the orbit of China. Uh, China funded uh, at very great cost to Sri Lanka uh, a lot of projects, some of them purely economic, but a number of them military as well, including the, the port at Hanbantota, and uh, it sent its navy to have uh, surprise uh, port visits in the capital of Colombo by submarines, which certainly frightened India to have subs popping up unannounced uh, right off their coast. And this was a relationship that uh, is part of China's Belt and Road Initiative, and it hasn't really been very good for Sri Lanka. Uh, By some accounts, these big projects that uh, Beijing has funded have come at the cost of 9% interest, which is rather hefty. Uh, now that Rajapaksa is back in power, if this, if this shift stands, the fear is that Sri Lanka will go back to a policy of close alliance with China. And uh, that's certainly something that frightens India. It's something that is of concern to a number of other countries that see China as being a uh, a rather dominant power in the region, but it's also a problem for Sri Lanka because in economic terms, the past uh, Belt and Road Initiative in Sri Lanka has not really been economically good for Sri Lanka. And given that China's Belt and Road Initiative uh, has a large role in Pakistan, can't think that India is very happy about this. Is there a chance of some sort of proxy battle, perhaps not a hot battle, but even maybe a cold battle between India and China in Sri Lanka? Yes, and that battle has been going on really for at least 15 years. Uh, ever since uh, Rajapaksa started to move away from India and towards, uh, towards China, it's very unlikely for it to turn into a hot battle in any way, shape, or form, but it is very likely to be fought in the economic arena. Where does the U.S. stand in all of this? Is the U.S. even saying anything about this crisis in Sri Lanka? The U.S. has issued a, a rather anodyne statement uh, urging the summoning of parliament to resolve this through the constitutional process, uh, but I don't think this is really even on the radar screen of top policymakers in the U.S. Uh, Sri Lanka is very seldom a, a top issue for the U.S., uh, except when someone in the U.S. establishment decides to make it an issue. For example, when... Um, 
uh, Dick Armitage was the uh, Deputy Secretary of State, he was so interested in Sri Lanka that he used to call himself the senior desk, desk officer for Sri Lanka. Uh, a number of people in the system have that kind of attitude just because Sri Lanka is a really special place. Anyone who goes there uh, stands a good chance of just uh, becoming uh, enraptured and fascinated. But in pure geophy- uh, geopolitical terms, it really is not near the top of uh, the U.S. agenda. The mere thought of destabilization and ethnic strife are horrific thoughts for Sri Lanka after the civil war that it went through. What do you see as the best possible solution, the the most uh, reasonable and logical solution to this current constitutional crisis in Sri Lanka? I think the, the solution that would be the least disruptive would be for parliament to be resummoned and uh, for whichever candidate, Rene Wickremesinghe or Mahinda Rajapaksa, is able to create a, a majority coalition to be the prime minister, you know, exactly the same way that it happens in any parliamentary system and the same way that it uh, is supposed to happen in under Sri Lanka's constitution. The really difficult thing will be what happens if neither one is able to come up with a majority, if you have essentially a, a hung parliament. Uh, that would lead to a continuing constitutional crisis. And certainly more uncertainty, which is not something that Sri Lanka needs at this point. Dr. Blank, thank you so much for joining us here today on The Crisis Next Door. Thank you so much for having me. We've been joined by Dr. Jonah Blank, senior political scientist with Iran Corporation. Dr. Blank also served as policy director for South and Southeast Asia on the staff of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee from 1999 to 2011. You've been listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.